0: Welcome back to the 10th annual Hunger Game! Oh, wait, no, sorry, that's not right. (laughs) Uh, Welcome back to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, Young Adult Literature Podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm not announcing from the Capitol, but I am
1: Joe. And I'm Brenna, and I'm tired.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back to week number two of our dip into the Hunger Games.
1: There is a lot here that is good, but there is also a lot here.
0: There is Period. a lot here. <laughs> and I'm not saying that I want people to acknowledge the fact that we have made a big sacrifice. Yeah, but we did read, like, 530 pages in about five days. Yes, so... we
1: did. <laughs> we were originally going to record this three days ago, and... Mm-hmm. Thank God Joe called it and said there was no way that was happening because of life getting busy on his end because I was fully gearing up to read this book all night.
0: This is not the kind of book that deserves or merits
1: being read all night. So instead I took the full three days and I only finished it yesterday. And I'm glad I took my time because I don't think...
0: This does not benefit from a quick read. Like, no. I, I frankly found huge sections of it mildly insufferable. And folks, we have not announced it. So we are talking about <laughs> people, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes
1: by Suzanne Collins. It came out last Tuesday, May 19th, yes. and it's 528 pages. Yes. All of them with words on.
0: <laughs> uh, some of them with philosophy quotes.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: So folks, we recognize that we are recording this very quickly after the book came out and a lot of people either may not have finished it or they may not have even received their copies because of course we are still living during a pandemic Mm -hmm. so the way we're going to approach this is we're going to do a brief spoiler free section Mm -hmm. just with general thoughts a little bit of plot synopsis and then we will give you fair warning and we'll make a note of it in the show notes as well when we transition into spoilers at which point we will talk about the remaining portions and go into more detail because of course Bruna you and I have both actually finished this book.
1: We read the whole thing yes yeah so this book is set 64 years before the hunger games of the first
0: book Mm -hmm. remember when i said it in an earlier episode where i was like i think this is the 30th hunger games or something no no (laughs) it's
1: the 10th it's the 10th this also
0: means that president snow is like approaching 90 in the. he's got to be at
1: least 90 yeah which what yeah i there's a i have a lot of those questions about some of the names that crop up like it's not always clear when we're meeting someone who is like a father or grandfather to a character name we recognize or when it's just someone who apparently lives forever.
0: Yeah I mean which kind of makes sense because there is insinuations that people in the capital they benefited from good medicine as well as maybe life extending plastic surgeries and other things but it's also question mark question mark question
1: mark. Although not great medicine. Like, this is the future, and we're still dealing with rabies, apparently.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, that's (laughs) part of the premise of this prequel, right? Is that in the 10th iteration of The Hunger Games, this is not the arena. This is not the capital that we have come to know in 64 years' time.
1: The capital is still rebuilding from the war. It's still living through sort of the wartime poverty and sacrifice era. And so a lot of what is happening to the districts in the Hunger Games is very much spite. It's like, we Mm. suffered and we're going to make you suffer tenfold.
0: Yes. But strangely enough, we're also in a time where, because the Hunger Games are in their infancy, they're also not hugely compelling as a draw. So the people of the capital... They used to be rich, and now they're, a lot of them aren't, or they're living hand-to-mouth, and mm-hmm. as a result, they don't really care about yes. the events that are going on in the arena. And the districts are so poor still yes. that they also don't watch the games because they don't even have things like a compulsory mandate to watch yes.
1: them. Well, and there's not the technology, right? So we don't have the big screen set up in the town square where everyone is forced to, like whether you want to or not, you're absorbing what's happening in the games. Mm -hmm. That aspect hasn't come into play yet. And in fact, much of what this book is about is how Coriolanus Snow has, like how many of the ideas of making The Hunger Games an engaging spectacle come directly from him. Yeah,
0: that was actually one of my minor gripes with this book is that seemingly he is the most important person in the Hunger Games universe ever, because he has come up with everything good and I'm putting good in quotation marks because of course, it's still terrible. Mm -hmm. But yeah, he is more or less responsible for everything that the Hunger Games become.
1: Every lasting concept (laughs) is a Cornelius Snow original. Yeah,
0: that was one retcon too many for me.
1: Yeah, and I think the book in general suffers from—I don't know. Did anybody read the original trilogy thinking, "I wish I knew more about Coriolanus Snow"?
0: Yeah, I anybody? applaud your attempts to even to even pronounce his first name. I'm just going to call him Snow this entire recording because I am no.
1: honestly, seriously frustrated with the weird names in the capital. Like, yeah. It just feels... Okay, so we know that the capital is eventually going to collapse into its own decadence, right? Because yes. we know what happens in the Hunger Games series. So the whole, all of our names are Roman, a bit on the mm. nose for me, have to say.
0: Oh, even the fact that <laughs> the sports amphitheater that they play yeah. this 10th Hunger Games in is basically a Roman gladiator arena. Yes,
1: it's just we a We get it, much. It's Suzanne Collins. <laughs> it's a bit much. Um... <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, so I guess I don't find Snow particularly, I didn't find him particularly compelling in the the original series. No, because
0: we don't know anything about him.
1: No, and guess what doesn't help? Learning things about him. Well,
0: okay, (laughs) I don't disagree, but this is one of the things that I think people had a lot of concerns about. We raised similar concerns that we didn't need a backstory for a villain that we didn't know very well. Yeah. And interestingly enough, I don't actually think that that's what this prequel is giving us. So yes, we are getting his backstory, but it's not with the intent of making him more sympathetic.
1: No, I agree with you. She's not trying to redeem him.
0: Yeah. And that's, I think, why the book opens with, uh, what is it, six or eight philosophy quotations oh from my. people like Hobbes and Locke. God. and so we're we're starting on oh, a level could of you pretension. Be
1: more severely up your own butt, Suzanne Collins. I <laughs> rolled my eyes so hard, I think I sprained something.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's very telling in terms of what Suzanne Collins yeah. is going for here. Whether or not she succeeds, I think is a matter of opinion. But it's all about was Snow always bad mm. or was he groomed to become the villain that we know him to be? But it's not to bring him into a sympathetic light, it's very much to explain Explore, Okay, what are the issues of control and chaos that drive man? Yes. So we're headed into some heady philosophy territory, which doesn't unfortunately always make for great reading.
1: No, and I have to say I'm grateful that she didn't try a redemptive or even an oh poor him. Mm -hmm. This is how a victim becomes a destroyer narrative. That's not what's happening here. And I was grateful for it because I did hold my breath for about the first third, worrying that that's where we were headed.
0: Yeah. So the book is divided into three sections. The first section is where we find out that Snow is quite destitute. He's living with his cousin and his elderly grandmother. And they're at risk of starving and being evicted from the mansion because they have lost all of their wealth after the war because their wealth was tied to District 13.
1: Mm -hmm. Oops. And what they've had to watch is while the sort of wealthier people who helped the war effort from the districts, the wealthiest people in each of the districts have found places in the capital, just as the Snow family is sort of losing their place in the capital. And the capital has to rebuild after the war. And so they've added this new concept called property taxes, (laughs) which previously only people in the districts paid. And now Now they have to pay it, and Snow's family can't. And so yeah, they're going to lose the family home.
0: Yeah, so his glimmer of light is that if he can do well enough to secure a university scholarship, he'll continue not only their legacy, but he might be able to secure himself a spot in the future that will allow the family to succeed financially
1: yeah and there's a sense that if he can prove his worth you know there's all kinds of there's a lot of financial talk in this book by the way
0: (laughs) food and finances
1: there's all kinds of discussion of if he can prove himself to be someone who is on the up again could they take out a loan against his future to pay their taxes and it's yeah it's a it's a lot
0: So a big part of this comes down to the fact that for the first time in an effort to increase the viewing audience and the investment in the Hunger Games, mm-hmm. which is part of the restitution process against the districts for mm-hmm. the uprising that happened 10 years before, mm-hmm. they are going to employ 24 mentors. No.
1: 24?
0: 24. 24 mentors. <laughs> yes, one for each individual person. Oh my
1: goodness. Lord knows we all miss something in a 528-page book, but... They literally list out the names of the mentors solidly 15 times over the course of this
0: book. This book would be 400 pages if we didn't have to keep listing (laughs) things like food or talking about who is still active in the arena. Anyway, so yes, there is an individual mentor from the capital. So this is a new piece that has been implemented by the games master, Dr. Gall (laughs) Who's the villain of this book, in truth?
1: Well, villain slash mentor.
0: Right, exactly. She is trying to implement this new policy where kids from the capital, so they are on the cusp of going into university, maybe, they will mentor for the first time the district tributes tributes thank you mm-hmm. you're welcome yes so these people from the Capitol will mentor the tributes who are coming in from the district and this has never been tried before so in the past the kids are just kind of released into the arena I guess and they kill each other and it's all very savage And here, the intention is that these mentors will not only groom them so there will be the interviews that we've come to expect, but also as Snow becomes increasingly invested in trying to make a good impression, he starts to come up with ideas. So he grooms his unfortunate District 12 nominee. (sighs) I didn't love the fact that, of course, he has ties to District 12, and of course, he ends up falling in love with his tribute.
1: Yeah, I didn't love any of that either. It still doesn't help me understand. Like, I I think what we're supposed to get from this is that he has this unfinished business in District 12, and that's why...
0: That's why he hates Katniss so much.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's why the Mockingjay repels him so much as a symbol.
0: Mm -hmm. Katniss's songs, because of course his tribute from District 12 is a songstress, hence part of the title of this book.
1: Yes but I don't think any of that worked to be perfectly honest. We have this problem throughout the narrative of Snow's characterization is so uneven and his motivations are so confusing at times that Mm -hmm. I got to the end and I was like okay why does he care about Katniss 64 years from now? Like absolutely not clear to me even after this long book and I think I think ultimately there's a ton of really interesting stuff going on here. I really enjoyed, actually, the world building of the capital and this sense of vengeance that Mm -hmm. we don't get in the later Hunger Games books because it's all decadence by the time we meet these characters Mm -hmm. 64 years from now. But this is the vengeance that starts the decay, basically. Yes. And I really thought that was very well done. Some of the characters I really loved. I could read a Sejanus Plinth's story,
0: I knew <laughs> so one of the interesting things about this prequel is that it's not written in first person it's no. actually written in third person yes
1: which is a strength actually
0: yeah I think it was a good decision on Suzanne Collins part yeah but I don't know that we feel as tied to Snow as we did to Katniss. No. And he's not as compelling a character because really, he's pretty one-dimensional in terms of he's narcissistic, Mm -hmm. he's self-involved, and he's very self-serving. So even though you see him delivering a certain amount of kindness to his tribute, Lucy Gray, Mm -hmm. as well as his friend Sejanus, who is a District 2... Transplant. Transplant, yeah.
1: His dad was very wealthy. He's an important figure because his father's wealth comes from the munitions building in District 2, Mm -hmm. where Snow's wealth had come from the munitions building in District 13. 13. And so the Plinth family has very literally replaced the Snows Mm -hmm. in terms of sort of cultural significance in the capital.
0: Yeah, and with both of these characters, they're presented in a slightly more sympathetic light. They're a little bit more naive, and I think they're meant to provide a kind of contrast to Snow. So these people are seeing the better side of humanity, whereas Mm -hmm. Dr. Gall and, to a certain extent, Snow are meant to represent this. For me to thrive, others must fall, others must suffer, others must die. And in that regard, it does okay work.
1: Yeah, it's sort of two choices that you can make in in your view of humanity and the outcroppings of each. But... The problem is that when you have a character like Snow, who you know is going to end up the villain because you've read the rest of the books, yeah, and Collins makes the good, I think, decision not to try to redeem him or explain him, mm-hmm. the end result is that there is no arc. No. And that's a lot. It's a lot to read a 500-page character study with no arc.
0: Yeah. Which is why I think all the stuff about the world building in the capital and how the games came to be in a certain regard, I think that's, again, as we talked about when we were talking about Catching Fire, ironically, Mm -hmm. I think that's where the strength of Suzanne Collins' Mm -hmm. vision lies, because particularly in this book, if we don't care about Snow and he doesn't have that arc because we already know exactly where it goes, like it's a problem with prequels in general, but particularly this one, Mm -hmm. all we have to hang our hat on are the interesting little nuggets of, oh, okay, so this is what the world was like, oh, that's where this came from. And a lot of the time it works, but then sometimes it also feels like, oh, are we going to talk about that thing that Katniss did? And here's like a nudge, nudge, wink, wink, and it just gets really annoying
1: yes it does it gets very annoying very quickly actually
0: so let's maybe wrap up this non-spoilery section so overall Brenna would you recommend this book
1: it's hard right because I think that there are a lot of people who really love the series and Hmm. I think that the world building is worth reading about I think it's worth having a a clear understanding of where the capital is coming from in Panem I would say you should read it but you should not try to read it in a week it's not well edited (laughs) no it's very repetitive it's very long and reading it in a week is an infuriating experience i think if i could have like dipped in and out of it over a couple of months i would have actually enjoyed it a lot more
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, even being able to read a section like one of the three parts and then be able to put the book away yes. and think about it a little bit because to a certain extent I applaud Collins's decision to try to tackle these weightier philosophical ideas. Mm-hmm. I think the problem is, is that we don't have an interesting character to go through mm-hmm. it with. And for me, I think the book would have benefited from having a perspective other than just Snows to bounce off of. So if we yeah. had have had either chapters or sections from maybe Lucy Gray's perspective or Sejanus Plint's perspectives that would have provided deeper characterization and shading to really murky the waters here
1: because I think part of the problem is that Snow is so morally gray like he tells us he loves Lucy Gray but he doesn't right he tells us he believes in you know principle X but he doesn't Mm -hmm. and like that just happens over and over and over again I think if it had been offset with some of the moral certainty that we find in a character like Lucy Gray or Sejanus Plinth, it would have been, A, I think, better in the characterization of Snow himself to have that contrast. But right. B, it would be nice to have a character here you actually like... care about whether they live <laughs> or die, for one thing. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's leave... A non-spoilery bit there. Folks who have read the book or who don't care are happy to let us spoil certain things, follow us through to the next section.
1: Spoiler alert.
0: am today, an am tomorrow, and am forever.
1: Was that helpful? Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> Okay, (sighs) so
0: as we mentioned in the first part of the episode, the book is split into three sections. The first part is our character introduction to Snow, it's us getting to know a little bit more about this world, what the difference is between the 10th versus the 74th Hunger Games is. And then we meet our cast of characters. So we get to know his relationship to Sujan Splint and how he's being supplanted. He meets Lucy Gray Mm -hmm. uh, after seeing her get reaped. And there's, you know, a dramatic moment where she drops a snake on another girl and he thinks, oh, maybe I could do something with this girl. And then that builds in the second part, which is more or less catching fire because it's just the hunger games unfolding but problematically it takes away the fun question mark yeah. of the hunger games because we're not in there so the life or dust stakes you just don't care about any of these kids
1: well because even though we've spent even though this book is 528 pages long we only learn about lucy gray mm-hmm. and very briefly the other tribute from her district and very briefly a guy named reaper Oh, and Marcus from District Two. So basically we know like the names and a few characteristics of four of the tributes. Twenty four, yeah. And the rest of it is just like children dying.
0: Yeah. And not even in compelling ways, like Well,
1: no, because they're starved, right? In this version This is before the capital has decided to sort of treat the tributes like prizes themselves. Mm -hmm. So the tributes are kept in a zoo where people can come and look at them. They are transported by cattle cars. They contract various illnesses, including rabies. They starve. Mm -hmm. More than one of them starves to death before the games even starts. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's not even, it's just kind of like incessant at a certain point like 24 deaths in that manner is a lot to sit through and all of the pomp and ceremony is removed because the games here are just taking place in an arena not like Mm -hmm. a cool sci-fi arena where the walls are actually the sky etc just an arena like with Mm -hmm. bleachers and stuff (laughs) it's just like i don't know i didn't need i didn't need another hunger games i think is ultimately what it is like I could have very happily read sort of a political thriller about this world. I could have very happily read a narrative about, like, actual life in the various districts from various perspectives. Mm -hmm. I didn't need to go back into another arena with another Hunger Games.
0: Yeah, and i'm of two minds because in part i think without the hunger games i'm thinking what would this story be because all of the stuff about snow going into class and interacting with his rich privileged annoying classmates and butting heads against dean what is it high high bottom high smith bottom high bottom high, Casca
1: high <laughs> bottom i think <laughs>
0: <laughs> he butts <laughs> head with, with this dean who, of course, has ulterior motives because he feels betrayed. He has
1: unfinished business with his dead father because no one in this book series ever gets over anything.
0: No, and they're all directly tied to one another. Yeah. Because apparently there's, what, five families in the entire freaking capital. Yeah. So... It's a lot of repetition because it's Snow going home and talking about food and then coming to school and talking about food and then having an awkward encounter with either the Dean or Dr. Gall, who is crazy, and then him wanting more food.
1: The food thing is interesting for about five minutes because it draws this interesting contrast between Snow and Katniss. In every way that anybody can see from the outside, Katniss is more deprived than Snow, right? But she's Mm -hmm. never gone hungry, because she's smart. Yes. And so she has always fed herself, she's always fed her family, she's always fed the people she cares about. She may not have the range of choice that, you know, an Effie has, for example, (laughs) but she's never gone hungry. And so for the first little bit of the book, I was like, okay, this is kind of neat because he's constantly thinking about food. And it's this really clear distinction between his experiences and Katniss's. Like he is hungry all the Mm -hmm. time. Yeah. He survives on, you know, a thin broth of cabbage soup, mostly.
0: And lima beans. Lima
1: beans. He's very, very hungry. And so at first I was like, is kind of neat. Like seeing this preoccupation is like telling me something really interesting about the difference between him and Katniss.
0: It's shocking, too, because you're thinking, oh, it's the capital. Yeah. And they're also starving. It really helps you to understand this is why he's so desperate to survive, because he has to get out of this particular situation. And it feels very dire. And it's compelling for about five pages.
1: Well, that's the thing, right? Because at least in part, what we're learning here is that His reputation and the Snow family name is so important to him that he would rather starve than seek help, right? Mm -hmm. Because, like, what they could do is they could sell the family home, they could Mm -hmm. rent a much smaller apartment, more befitting three people, and they would live comfortably, but they wouldn't have status, right? And so what we learned from all of this is that Snow's status is the only thing that matters to him, ultimately.
0: And more so than his relationship with his cousin yep. and with his grandmother who are also starving and who are in a far more precarious position than him because the grandmother is deluded. Yeah. And his cousin is actually keeping them afloat while he's at school. But then she gets roped into all of his schemes. And of course, attentive viewers will note that this is a character we previously met before. So Mm -hmm. Tigress does appear in Mockingjay. She helps the rebels. She seemingly hates President Snow. Mm -hmm. And guess what? This doesn't give you any details about what happened between the two of them. Which already has people calling for another sequel prequel. (sighs) Ugh.
1: I mean, it's clearly what is set up for in the epilogue because we get we get tastes of the choices that he's going to make more concretely in the future. Mm. Obviously, she's going to write something about what happens to Lucy Gray. Right. So we end this book without a clear sense of whether Lucy Gray is alive or dead.
0: I liked that so much.
1: I liked it, except for the fact that it's clearly setting it up for a sequel about Lucy Gray. Right. Which would be fine if it was an actual sequel about Lucy mm-hmm. Gray. But my fear is it's a sequel sequel about Snow's search for Lucy Gray right yeah which I don't think I would survive
0: yeah so if folks are still listening and haven't actually read the book Lucy Gray eventually wins the Hunger Games shocking Shocking, but it's in part because no he cheats to help her
1: okay this is another thing that isn't clear to me so (laughs) for the entire book he's always cheating he's always doing things that are duplicitous anything to retain the status of the family. He mm-hmm. steals food from his school all the time. Lord knows I don't care if he steals food, but he's always doing things that are duplicitous. And then there's this moment where there's these snakes and he's figured out they're going to be released into the arena. And he's learned about these snakes from Dr. Gall in a previous incident that if mm-hmm. they recognize a smell, they won't attack anything that smells like that. Yeah. So he drops his handkerchief which he had lent to Lucy Gray, he drops it into the tank so that the snakes will know her scent and they won't attack her. And it works. But there's this moment where he drops it in and he's like, well, that's it for me. Like, I've crossed an invisible line. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. what? Why? Why is this the invisible line? Like, you've actually killed people. I don't understand what's happening, that this is your line. It makes no sense. No,
0: and then that that refrain gets repeated in Over and three. over again. So after Snow is eventually exposed for cheating to help Lucy Gray win the games, he is basically kicked out of school by the dean and blackmailed into becoming a peacekeeper, and he is sent to District 12. Mm-hmm. Well, he requests District 12.
1: He's sent to the districts. He requests District 12.
0: Oh, I thought it was just Sejanus who had been. Anyway, doesn't nope. matter. They both end up in District 12.
1: Yeah, because everybody's surprised. He doesn't think that they're going to let him go because he assumes they'll know he's looking for Lucy Gray. But ah. they're so surprised that anybody's actually requesting to go to District 12 that they send him. Right. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah.
0: So he ends up in District 12, which is where the third part of the book takes place. The
1: Peacekeeper.
0: Yeah. We follow his daily routine, which who could care
1: a lot of food, though. Still talking about food all the time.
0: Still talking about food all the time. <laughs> of course, Janice's ma is also sitting in care packages. He ends up figuring out that lucy gray and her makeshift family will also be performing because of course that was her backstory before she became a tribute and they strike up this illicit romance but of course there's a rebellion that's tentatively rising in district 12 that Sejanus ends up getting roped into because he's a do-gooder and he believes in humanity and people should be free and what a naive idiot. blah 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 mm-hmm. and of uh, course course snow ends up therefore being implicated into it because he ends up murdering a couple of people and then the book comes to a climax when... but before
1: all of that he sells him out completely right he uses a jabberjay to record sejanus's confession of the mm-hmm. rebels plan that he's going to help them with and again i was like i don't understand why you're betraying this dude like i did not understand why he betrayed sejanus in that scene it made no sense to me
0: He almost feels like he has a split personality, and I appreciate that, no, he actually does not, but it feels like for the purposes of Colin's narrative, he needs to be two things all the time. So one of them is this person who actually kind of cares for Sejanus, who kind of actually loves Lucy Gray, but then he also has to be this self-serving a-hole who will do anything to get ahead, even if he knows it means hurting people. And I can't tell if that's meant to reflect that he's a deep character, because I don't think it works in that regard. No. But then it also doesn't work because we're just constantly watching him perform self-serving acts, but then being question mark torn up about it and questioning himself and being like, oh no, maybe I made the wrong decision. And you're like, but you keep doing this. Like you (sighs) make the same decision and you have the same action every single time and it always ends up working for you.
1: Yeah, and I think ultimately that's what's exhausting for me here is like ultimately what you learn about in this book, is that the bad guy is a bad guy.
0: Mm -hmm. You learn
1: that the bad guy is a sociopath.
0: Yes. Okay. Which is what he was at the beginning of the book, and it was clear (sighs) to everyone except him.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's it. I guess in the epilogue, he no longer feigns regret for the choices he's made. Right. And that's it. It's just, I felt like it was a tedious waste of time, this whole book. That was frustrating to me because the parts that I liked, I really liked. Mm Mm-hmm. I really want to know more about the thinking in the capital. I want to understand more deeply the districts. I really wish we had gone to literally any other district than 12.
0: Oh, I'm so happy you said that because... Oh, the
1: hob. Oh, the seam. Oh, shut up. Yeah,
0: it was like, (laughs) I can't be bothered to give you any more information about these 11 other districts that we have literally never learned anything about. It feels like Colin's taking not just a way out by saying, oh, well, I don't want to have to do more world building in these other districts. I don't want to have to actually engage with different types of people or settings, but also here's this shoehorned BS reason about why Snow cares so much about Katniss and district 12, and this is going to be his undoing. And oh my God, I think she thinks that this is Shakespearean tragedy (laughs) of the highest level. And it, newsflash is
1: not not. well and the thing is like it retroactively makes katniss a more irritating character because she was already like the chosen one and now Mm -hmm. she's like the chosen one times 10 billion
0: yeah it reduces her in complexity because all of a sudden it's not about what she became and what she did for herself but what she represented a stand-in of lucy gray 64 years later
1: Which, again, not clear why he hates Lucy Gray, actually.
0: (laughs) (sighs) It's aggravating to have this character who is apparently so meaningful to Snow that he would still be fixated on her 64 years later. But she's also not a character and... Mm -hmm. I was telling Brian as I was reading through, because I was getting annoyed and a little bit frustrated. And he said, so wait, there's been a District 12 female winner that no one has ever talked about. <laughs> and I was like, I don't get it. I don't get it. And then you get right to the end. And Dr. Gull says, oh, yeah, this experiment didn't work. So I just deleted just all the footage. And we're never going to talk about this again.
1: <laughs> the oh, end. so we're
0: hand-waving away this entire book
1: now? <laughs> yes, we are. Yes, that was probably the most frustrating component for me as well. Like, I wanted it to be something like, I don't know, there's an uprising in District 12 that we don't know about yet that, like, erases any memory of Lucy Gray or something. But no, it's just, no. And why have we never heard about this, like, musical mythical people, the Covey, before, also? Well, I think because
0: this is the end of the line, right? So the idea that they might just die out and not be important. And then, of course, they're not acknowledged by any of the footage because that's all gone. So nobody in any of the other districts would know about them. So many question marks.
1: Except they're supposed to have traveled through all the districts, right? The only reason they're stuck in 12 is because they they were in 12 when the laws changed and they couldn't move anymore, right? Yeah. So I don't know. I just on the one hand she wants to build this mythology on the other hand she doesn't want to do the work of giving us any continuity between the districts because of course there would have been continuity between the districts there would have been free movement between the districts Mm -hmm. until like 10 years before this book yeah so uh i just i don't know the choice to set it in 12 the choice to focus on snow
0: Mm -hmm.
1: neither of these are choices that i think add anything to our understanding of this universe and to me that was a massive frustration.
0: Yeah. And then I'll add one more to that, the decision to seemingly make everything important from the original trilogy yeah. get decided in the period of about 2 months in yeah. this prequel. Yeah. So like literally everything that we come to expect and know about the way the capital functions and the way the Hunger Games are executed. All comes from President Snow as an 18 year old over two months during the 10th Hunger Games.
1: Or like these sidelong comments from the other tributes that I guess were to believe Snow has like absorbed and adopted. So there's one point where I can't remember, not tributes, sorry, mentors. One of the other mentors says um, it would be helpful if the tributes could know how many people were left in the arena at the end of every day. Like, and it's just like this cast off remark. And you're like, I think we're supposed to be like, oh, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, they're gonna do that eventually. But instead, you're just like, because it's the 400th time it's happened. You're like, okay. Yeah, I get it. You guys came up with everything. You 24, 18 year olds changed the world.
0: Yeah, they (laughs) literally did. It was Snow's father came up with the Hunger Games by stealing this idea from the dean yep. and submitting it, and then his son doing it just a couple years later, stealing everybody else's ideas and changing the world. Oh my gosh, these two men. So important, Brenna.
1: And then in the epilogue, we get to find out that the Victor's Village was Snow's mm-hmm. idea, and the prizes for the district, <sighs> Snow's idea, and the mentors coming from the districts Snow's idea. Like... Just in case you thought there might be something, some way in which this evolves in the intervening 64 years, don't worry. It doesn't. No.
0: (sighs) I remember when we initially talked about the prequel and we didn't have the logline. I was hopeful that it might follow the events of one of the previous quarter quells.
1: Like maybe the Haymitch quarter quell. Yeah, right?
0: Getting a better sense of how a mentor comes to be Mm -hmm. or... Like, what would life be like for Sejanus Plinth in Mm -hmm. the capital? Like, I don't know that he would have made a compelling character to have spent an entire book with because he's so naive and kind of dumb. Mm
1: -hmm. At least from...
0: Right, from Snow's perspective, which is all that we have.
1: Yeah. I just,
0: I don't know. It's always annoying to read a book and spend a good portion of time thinking, what if? as opposed to just being able to spend the time within the narrative with Mm -hmm. the characters. Mm -hmm. And I find that the issue that I'm having when I have to dig into the world that Suzanne Collins has built is that she doesn't have a strong grasp of what makes these stories compelling. And as a reader, that just becomes increasingly frustrating.
1: It's sort of the damnedest thing. Like, (laughs) I don't understand how she doesn't know what's interesting about these stories. I don't understand how you become a bazillionaire based on a narrative world and still not understand what's interesting about it.
0: Mm -hmm. And very clearly, I think what we're seeing in this particular book, like, we don't know the genesis of it. We don't know if she took time away from this world and then came back to it because she had this brilliant idea or her agent said, like, hey, how about we make a billion more dollars by you writing a new Hunger Games book? But at the end of the day... This book has all the hallmarks of issues of when an author becomes too big for their britches. The editing is not there. It's super lax. This book could have been tighter. It could have been faster paced. It could have been less repetitive. Instead, it's meandering. It's bloated. It feels like, I don't know, like someone needed to step in and say, is this the best story that we can tell? Does this story need to be told in this particular way? And also, how about we hack out about 25% of this?
1: It cracked me up so much when I read the acknowledgements at the end, because <laughs> she thanks her editorial team.
0: You mean David Leviathan? <laughs> it
1: did, it, that blew my mind!
0: It blew my
1: mind! What of are you course, doing, it's not Dave? Leviathan,
0: it's Dave Leviathan, but yeah. Yeah. That was my joke.
1: I know, I got it. But what's he doing there? She thanks him for his keen editorial hand. She makes a comment about how much he cut out, how much Mm -hmm. extraneous stuff there was before he cut. How long was this book?
0: How terrifying.
1: I can't breathe when I think about how long this book could have been. Oh my God. Because honestly, my first thought about a third of the way in was, where is the editor? Suzanne Collins has gotten so big that no one can edit her. And then you find out that there's a ton more on the cutting room floor. And it's Mm -hmm. galling to me, utterly galling. Yeah,
0: this is absolutely not a story that merited 528 pages. No. Interestingly enough, the reviews have been quite mixed. So a lot of people have praised some of the world building. They praise the fact that collins was willing to tackle a more philosophical bent to talk about some of the murkier more upsetting parts of what makes the hunger game the hunger games essentially mm-hmm. but i think a lot of people have also said yeah you know the editing's not there it's meandering it's repetitive it's boring snow is not a compelling character to spend all this time with yep I think at the end of the day, I'm not sure that this is a story that needed to be told. So like you said in the non-spoilery section, if you're interested, it does give you some little nuggets and it does connect to the Hunger Games that we know, the original trilogy. But you could not read this and still be fine.
1: Yeah, you oh, you could totally read this and be fine. It doesn't give you enough world building to warrant us saying that it's like a must read. Mm Hmm. Mm Hmm. Yeah, yeah all right yeah Uh, we did it joe i know you're gonna eventually make me do mocking (laughs) jay but we're can we take a break before we get there
0: oh absolutely yeah we do not have mocking jay scheduled any time this year so we will not be revisiting the world of the hunger games in the near future
1: thank you i appreciate that
0: (laughs) uh okay uh well before we talk about where we're going next week let's do some housekeeping okay that's you
1: oh i get what you're talking about (laughs) So if you'd like to share your thoughts on the Hunger Games universe with us, I mean, maybe share them with Joe. Joe, what's your handle on Twitter?
0: (laughs) I am at Beast on my remote, and that's the letter B.
1: If you want to talk to me about something that's not the Hunger Games, I'm at Brenna C. Gray. That's Gray with an A.
0: (laughs) Only Hunger Games stuff with Brenna. That's all Uh, she wants.
1: (laughs) uh, (laughs) And You can find us both using the hashtag HKHSpod. For longer form feedback, keep those Minnesota ideas coming, please. Uh, You can find us at hkhspod at Mm gmail.com and next week we're going traveling joe
0: yes we are Mm -hmm. so i made you stay in dystopia world for a couple of weeks so i'm gonna give you a reprieve brenna
1: yay we're going to contemporary y-a land (laughs) (laughs) we're reading the sisterhood of the traveling pants next week yeah by amber shares so you know if it's been a while since you've read it If you're like me and you are a millennial woman for whom this was a significant text, go ahead and check it out again. I think you'll find it's worth a reread. Yeah, Yeah.
0: I'm excited to check it out. Mm Mm-hmm. All right.
1: All right. So until next time, I will see you on every one of these 528 pages, Joe.
0: <laughs> and I will see you in the inevitable feature film adaptation, which has already been greenlit.
1: Uh, screenplay already in progress.
0: <laughs> <Boo>. <laughs> Hard <to> pass. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, we'll cover it, but yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not reading this book again. Let me just be, let me be clear. When the movie comes out, I am not rereading this book.
0: No, we'll just do a mini-sode on the film.
1: We'll just do a mini-sode on the film.
0: Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right, Bye.
1: Bye.